this morning. So we're going to see how this rolls. And I got to give Alice a hug too. She wasn't here last week. And did my smile work for you all week? I sent it to you, huh? I missed you. I missed you too. It's good to see you. But let's, uh, I'll let you start in, a, in your own prayer as we go to God. Prepare your heart and mind for the word. And then I'll close this out and we'll begin. Father in heaven, we humbly bow before your presence. And we're just so grateful that you're here. Your word says that when two or three is gathered together in my name, I'm there amongst you. And we welcome you and the Spirit and your Son. And we we pray for your fellowship with us. And we, we thank you and we are honored that you would even think to be with us. And Father, Jesus spoke the words that we're about ready to study close to 2,000 years ago. But you meant it for today. It's alive and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, and it's living today. And it's just as relevant today as it was then. And there are folks here that you knew 2,000 years ago when your son was saying these parables that there would be folks at New Life in Perrigan who needed to hear this message, and you drew them here today. So, Father, we pray for our minds our hearts to be open. We pray that your word will sink deeply within, that you will allow your spirit to metabolize it within us that we can understand it, that we can readily grasp what you're telling us and that we will be uplifted and edified by it because you're a loving God, you're a compassionate God, and you're a God that seeks the lost and you sent your son to seek and to save the lost and we're going to see an example of that today and father may you challenge us by what we hear in jesus name amen luke chapter 15 if you're there and again welcome this morning to the body of christ here at new life in perrigan it's it's a great day i pray you had a great week And I pray that the Lord will bless you in this week to come and that you'll take some of this with you. In Luke 15, we're going to continue where we left off. Last week, you'll remember, we started in the middle of Luke 14 and we worked our way. Jesus had a few tough sayings in Luke 14. Folks had gathered around him. They wanted to hear the message and we found out that he didn't condone things but he accepted them because he wanted to teach them and, and give them a direction for life. To give them hope because that's what people desire, especially the people who need help. They need hope in their life. And so they gathered around and stayed because he taught as one with authority. But he also taught as one with compassion And they sensed that he wasn't like those scribes and Pharisees. He wasn't condescending. He didn't look down upon them. He had words of life, even though it might be words that challenged them to change their life, like he said. He said, if you're going to follow me, you're going to have to maybe even give up all. You're going to have problems with 
with husband, with wife, with son, with daughter, with friends, with co-worker. He said, even yourself, because within us is those desires to be drawn astray. And he says, you're going to have to even challenge yourself by these things. And then he said, he that has an ear, let him hear what I'm trying to say to you. Chapter 15 opens up with, then many, not, not many, all, says all of the publicans and the sinners came and gathered around him. And on the other side was the Pharisees and scribes looking at what had been going on. And they tried to be condescending to the people. Look, he is receiving. And I want you to circle that in your brain because it's going to come up later. He receives and even eats with sinners and publicans and tax collectors. So... Jesus has two different audiences that he needs to get the same message to. He's got self-righteous folks who think that they're already okay and don't need anything and don't realize that because of the hardness of their heart, the attitude of the mind that they have, that they're worse off than the folks who are doing the outward atrocities that they're setting their pointing at. But yet, because they are willing to gather around and hear they are in a much better situation than they are because they're going to refuse to hear. And he has to get this lesson to both sets of people that you need God in your life. And so he begins, last week we talked about the lost coin and the lost sheep. And he begins with those how that God in every one of those parables seeked the lost He was searching. He was trying to find. He left the 90 and 9 and went after the 1. The 10 coins, one was lost. She swept the floor. She swept everything, looking and searching. And he said in both cases, when the 1 was found, that there was joy in heaven, that there's joy in the presence of the angels, that that is the picture that you see of God, that he is constantly seeking He is searching, and when you are found, there is joy unspeakable over one sinner who repents. Just one. And that's the God that we serve. But now he has to illustrate both to them and to those scribes and Pharisees with the hard heart that you're even really a little worse off. And so we get to the parable of the prodigal son, and that's where we're going to be right here. I could talk, I've, I've, I've studied this in the past some, and with what I've looked at, I could probably talk to you for four or five hours, but I'm going to try to condense it to 40 minutes or so for your comfort so that you can get it all, because I think you'll get hungry before then. So if you're there with me in, in uh, Luke chapter 15, we're going to begin in verse 11 with what is... Probably the greatest piece of literature as a parable that Jesus spoke. The parable of the prodigal son. And it says in verse 11 and 12, he introduces it as a story about a man who has two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. And it says that he divided unto them his living. Boy, here's where I could get into hours of discussion with you because that word divided, that's the word that goes all the way back to the beginning when God created Adam and Eve and brought them together and said what 
you've joined together, let not man pull asunder. That's the word for divided here. And the word for living is not really the goods. The boy wanted the goods. He didn't care about, he was sacrificing his future for the present. What he wanted was fun right now, and he wasn't really looking at eternal life. He wasn't really looking at what the future held. He wanted to be satisfied right now. And so when it says that the father divided, stripped apart from himself that which he had joined together with you in life, it's the word bios when it talks about living. It's not the word zoe, which means living and life and enjoying it. It's bios that means your exact personal life, the real you, who you are. So when you, when you walked away from the Father and said, I want to go for the present and I want my stuff now and I want to enjoy it, it divided a part of life away from God for Him to give it to Him. But He gives us freedom of choice. He gives us that will to do that. So then, where did my glasses go? So then, from a Jewish perspective, we touched a little bit last week on the honor code and how that they, the family name meant everything. And it was honor and you didn't want to be disrespectful to your family. And Jesus starts to hit that here because he's going to have to drive home a point to these Pharisees and scribes who think that they're already so honorable. And he, he tells them this, you know, when I grew up, you know this yourself, Bill, that the old saying, man's only as good as his word, isn't it? And a, a handshake was your signature. That whenever there was a handshake on the deal, you didn't need nothing else because he's as good as his word. Honor code. Today, you can't do that, can you? We've gave up our honor code. You can't trust anyone. i you can hardly say, I will take your handshake on this and consider it a done deal. Because our society has kind of lost that honor code. The, the, the Pharisees and scribes' jaws, when, when Jesus began this parable and said, the younger son, not the older, I mean, there's a pecking order. The younger son said, give me my goods. Just give them to me. Their jaws would have dropped because in an honor society that had never happened. Because you're saying, in effect, I care nothing about you. I just wish you were dead. But since you're not doing that, I want my stuff now, so give it to me. Because I already have separated myself from you anyway. Their jaws would have dropped. No honorable Jewish boy would do that, would they? No, so we've got to understand what's going on here in the deep. He's talking to them about how they have left their father. And he says, this is what happened. And what they would expect in a code of honor would be for the father to uphold the family's honor, to refuse that request and probably put a backhand across the mouth to show the honor and say, you don't do that and you don't disrespect. But what did the father do? He divided, parted with part of himself to give it to him because he gives freedom of choice. It, that would have been to them a no-no. But our God is such a loving God. He allows you 
to have freedom of choice and he doesn't break your arm and say that you're going to have to follow me or else. So, the father then divided his living to him. This was unheard of. So, then we get to the thing. He has now disrespected everything. I want you to think about the steps that's gone along here. He's disrespected the father in asking for that. But not only has he done that, now that he's got all of the goods, it's going to say that he's going to get rid of them. Your family has built up that farm or that business, that, that place in the village that you live in. Your family has been building and building and building that. So you're going to disrespect the entire generations that went before you as well. And you're going to count it as nothing. That it doesn't matter anything. And about like the old car salesman that used to be on TV. He stacked everything cheap or deep and sold it cheap. You remember that commercial? We, we stack them deep and sell them cheap. It says not many days later in verse 14... He had already gathered all of the things together and was selling it. How do you sell quickly everything that a family has worked on for generations? Only way an investor will do that is if they're getting a bargain, isn't it? If they're getting something dirt cheap. Because I'm going to tell you, the Talmud that kind of is the rabbi's takes on everything, on what the scriptures are teaching and stuff, it says that at this time, that even though the father may have turned over that it's still his until he dies anyway he will give you the opportunity to run it but it's still his because he's still alive that's just the way it was so who would want to buy your goods if i can't have it until 10 15 years only somebody that can get it for maybe 20 25 percent of the value right to get the cash up front now but not be able to use it for a long time possibly means I'm not paying you full price. So another way he disrespected everything that the family had stood for was he said, I'll sell it to you for a fifth of what it's worth just so I can get away from my father. And so he did that. And then it says that he went out and he went and took a journey to a far country. And I want to tell you something. You know what a far country is? It's, in, it, it's anywhere where God's not. When you go into a far country, it's the place where God's not, and you've left Him, and you've went into a far country. And that's what this young man does. He goes into a far country. And it says when he got there, that verse 14 a famine came on. When you turn away from, from God, pretty soon you turn away from His Word, don't you? And you turn away from what He has prescribed for the direction of life. You remember that Jesus said, and He was quote, quoting Deuteronomy, that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth from the mouth of God. So when you have a famine in the land, you have left, when you go to the far country, you've left God. And when there's a famine in the land, you've also lost the word that you were living by. 
You no longer have the bread of life being taught to you. So you've now left God and you've left the word and a famine begins to come into that country. So then Jesus says, because you have spent everything on riotous living, you've traded your future for the present, now you've lost all of that word that was within you, and it says he began to be in want. The lack of spiritual nutrition. And you'd think that being in want meant he was hungry, right? Oh, it does. But this word goes a little bit deeper. Because this word, being in want, means to fall short. To lack by falling short. And it specifically is a metaphor is for a race. And I remember in 2 Timothy that the Apostle Paul wrote unto him and he said, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course, my race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, a righteous judge, is going to give to me in that day. And not only to me, but to all of those who follow in this way and love His appearing. So when it says, that's the play on words here, when it says that He was wanting, it meant that the race was being run out there and he was falling behind. And I've ran cross country and I wasn't very good and I understand how the race gets away from you. And it means that you're going to fail to reach the finish line. You're going to fail to reach the goal. And so when he says he became wanting, that's what's going on here. Paul said, I finished the course, kept the faith. This man is now lacking. He's falling behind and he's getting overrun And overpowered. So then verse 15. What's he going to do? He's in this far country. He's falling behind. It says in verse 15. That he went and joined himself. To the citizen of that country. Who do you think the citizen of a country is. That where God's not. Yeah it's, it's our enemy isn't it. And the word joined. Again goes all the way back to Genesis. What God hath joined together. So. He has stripped and pulled himself apart from God the Father, took his journey into the far country away from him. He is falling behind, lacking in spiritual nutrition, the bread of life. And out of desperation, he glues himself to the one who has things in the far country and to our enemy. And he glued himself to him. And what does that master do? He sends him out into his fields. And tells him, slop the hogs. Feed the pigs. You know what a pig is to a Jewish young man? Unclean animal. Not supposed to be in the pig pen. But that's what happens when you wandered away from the Father. He gets into the lowest point. It says that he would have fain, he would desire to eat the carob pods, the food, the husks that they were feeding to those pigs out there. It reminds me, when Jesus went into the Gadarenes, and there was the man there who had 
unclean spirits. You remember that? And he was wandering the tombs. The unclean spirits who said they were legion said, Don't take me out of this country, the far country. And then they said, Don't send us away from here. Let us go into the pigs. And Jesus allowed them to go into the pigs, and the pigs went off running and fell off the cliff. You remember that? This whole little scene is going on here. This country, the pigs, you're with the pigs feeding them. You're feeding the ones who are living in the far country of darkness. And do you think they're going to have compassion on you? Do you think that that those are your friends? I want you to keep reading. After he's joined himself, he would have filled his belly with the husks that the swine did eat. And then it says there in verse 16, but no man gave unto him. And I want to tell you something. When you leave the Father, you're on your own. You will go into the far country and you can try to join yourself to the world. But the world don't really care for you. It's going to be like it was with this prodigal son. It'll suck the life out of you. It'll suck the possessions out of you. It will drain you dry. But then whenever you want to fill yourself back up, there's going to be no one there to help you. Satan will cast you aside because look at his top disciple, Judas Iscariot. It says Satan entered into Judas Iscariot to move him to go and talk with the rulers and to sell Jesus. When he came back and tried to make amends, what did they say? What's that to us? You remember? Take your silver and go. We're... What's that to us? There was no help, and he went out and hanged himself. When you are in a far country, don't expect them to help. They'll listen because misery loves company, and they want to hear if you're more miserable than them. But the only place you're going to get help is whenever you come to yourself. And verse 17 is the most important verse that we have in here because it says there that if I want to get out of the far country, if I want to replenish myself, I have to first come to myself. And Proverbs says that as a man thinketh in his heart, so he is. The first place that you got to make a change is right here. The first place because the real you abides right in there. And until, like Jeff Foxworthy used to say, until you ought to, Until you want to, you ain't going to. So the first place that you have to make a change is right here. And it says there that when he came to himself, he said this. Where do you find grace? Where do you find mercy? Where do you find compassion? Where do you find love? How many hired servants in my father's house have bread enough and to spare? And I perish with hunger. And let me tell you about that hired servant word there. They had family, the sons. And you had pecking order there, firstborn down. Then you have servants. 
Servants were like family. Servants lived with you on that farm. And they were like your family. And they, you cared and you had a relationship with them. And I am a servant. I am a slave of Jesus Christ. And I am his family. But then you have the hired servants. The lowest on the totem pole. These are the folks who stand around at the hardware stores or at the paint stores and they're looking for work because they have no permanent work and they need something for today. They're the day laborers that Jesus talked about when it said the man went out at 9 a.m. and 12 a.m. and 3 or 12 p.m. and 3 p.m. and he brought in the hired servants for the day to do a day's wage. And it says that when you hire those in, you pay them that wage for the day because their life depends on it. They're not like the servants that lives with you. They're not like your family. They're the lowest of the low and they had nothing before. They need today's work to survive. And he says, those people... They really don't have a relationship with the Father and don't know Him, have bread enough and to spare. But I don't have anything. And no one in this country wants to give me anything, and I am perishing. That means I am being lost. The race is leaving me, and I am perishing. I am losing my battle from hunger. Without the word of God, without the bread of life. You notice he said, how many in my father's house have bread enough? Jesus is the bread of life. The good news, the bread to live by. And what drove him to change within himself was the memory of the goodness of the father contrasted with this far country that he was now a part of and no one wanted to help. It's the goodness of the Father. That's why we need to be here and partake of the bread. Amen? We need to learn the Word of God every week and to be in it so that we build within ourselves the bread of life. That those promises that are there for us, the things that give us hope and direction and perseverance that we can stand on, we need to intake that. Because when you don't, you don't have the spiritual nutrition to keep up with the world. And he said, I will arise. Verse 18. The goodness of his father now has come to mind. Those promises, the bread that was there. And he said, even the hired servants had it. I am going to arise. There's action. I am going to make a change. I've came to myself. I am going to rise. That means to sit up and it says to rise from the dead. I am going to arise from the path that I have been on. And I am going to leave the land of famine and death. And I am going to go to my father. And you know what? The father is the one who gives bios life. I am going to go to the one who can give me my life back again. And I will say to the father, I have sinned. 1 John 1, nine, If you will confess your faults to God, He is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Wipes the slate clean. When you have been His child all 
you have to do is say, Father, I have sinned before you. And before you get the words out, it's wiped clean. Because I'm faithful and just because I sent my son to die for those. And he paid the price. And you just acknowledged it. So it's clean. And he says, I will arise and I will go and tell him I've sinned. I confessed it to him, not to anyone else. You don't have to go to other people. You take it to him. And that's all. I have sinned against heaven before you. And I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired servants. And that's what he prepares himself that he's going to do and say. So then we get to verse 20. Here's the action. He arises up and he came to the Father. That's repentance. That's turning your that's doing the action part that comes along with that confession of that. Now he has confessed it and he's doing it. And I want you to know what happens. This is a picture of God the Father, what he wants you to know when you come to yourself, no matter what you have done as riotous living in a far country, this is the picture of the Father when you come to yourself and you arise and you confess and you start to walk. It says that as he did, but, oh, I love the buts of the Bible. It says, he returned and he's going. And when he was yet a far way off, the father saw him. He was seeking the sheep. He was seeking the coin. And he's still seeking you in this parable. He was standing there. He was watching daily, looking down the road, longing for that son who had went into a far country. And when he saw the dust coming his direction, the father ran. He ran to the young boy. The father already knows you don't have to be the one making the journey all the way back to him because he knows you've already confessed and arose and you're on the road. He runs to you. And what does it say that he do? He says he ran, he had compassion, he fell on his neck and he kissed him. And that word there is continuous. It meant he kissed his head and his face. He kissed him all over. He clung to his neck. The word there is for life. He brought his life back to him, the father, and put it safely in his clutches and started kissing him out of compassion. And I want you to know that this young man is coming from a pig pen. He's been in the muck And the mire in his clothes. He has nothing. He didn't even have a husk to chew on. He wanted to root with the pigs and outdo them. And he's been in the mud and the mire. And he's dirty. And now he's sweaty. He's walked this way. The father runs out. And doesn't say, oh, you got to get cleaned up first. No, you've already confessed that to me. And my son's taking care of that. I'm going to grab you. I'm going to hug you. I'm going to kiss you. And he's going to call for his servants, the ones who are part of the family that stays there. And he says, bring him the best robe that's being clothed with the righteousness of Christ. 
God, the righteous judge shall give to me that day. He clothes him with the best robe. You've already got the righteousness of my son now. Put the ring on his finger. You're an heir again. You have heirship. You have the right to represent me and my family. You're an heir. Put shoes on his feet because I'm putting him to work. He's going to get busy around this kingdom again. You're going to start back in with the kingdom right now, immediately. Give him the robe, the ring, and the shoes, and get busy, my son. Get busy. And I want you to look at what the son tries to say. You remember how in verse 19 he was trying to work up this speech to give to the father. And the son begins to say, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no more worthy to be called the son. And you know what happened? That's when the father shut down the conversation. You start talking about being worthy. There is none worthy. No, not one. And that's why my son came to this world. And died for you so that you might become the righteousness of God through him. You can't be worthy on your own. There's no way you'll ever be worthy on your own. He says, shh, stop it. Bring the stuff. He's already confessed that. Bring him forth and give him to him. And that's grace. And that's the seeking father. And he was diligently watching him and this kid. And he says, I'm not worthy. And then what? The father said, shh, don't talk anymore. You'll never earn it. You'll never deserve it. And I, as God, owe no man nothing. You're not going to throw up to me that, Lord, I have done this. We're going to see that out of the older brother in a minute, aren't we? I've always been here. I've never did anything to against your commandments. Oh, no. Man, we owe God everything. He owes us nothing. And he says, I am not worthy. I have sinned and I'm not worthy. And the father stopped the conversation and he said, shh, quiet, my boy. Stop with the worthy talk. And you know what else? If you look up there at verse 19 compared to this one, he didn't even let him get to be talking about a hired servant, did he? And being outside of the family. He didn't even let him get to that point. He stops in code and he says, no, bring the stuff, bring the ring, bring the airship, everything's back. And then here's the biggie. Here's the grace of God. Verse 23 up there. And he tells the servants, go, get the fatted calf, kill it. Let's eat and make merry. For this, my son was lost and he's found. He was dead, but he is alive again. And I want you to know what that means. Because I've found out that if you're curious, if you search deep and you dig, God will give you some stuff. And I like to go back to the first uses of a word in the Bible and then trace it down. Fatted calf. First use of the fatted calf is this. Leviticus. And see, all of these people know what Jesus is telling them and why these references are because in their society, they could quote the first five books. These people prided themselves on knowing the Word of God. They could quote Leviticus to you. Jesus says this. I'm going back to Leviticus chapter 9, verses 1 and 2, and I want you to read what that says up there. 
on, a, on the next slide. Yeah. And it came to pass. This is Moses and Aaron. It came to pass on the eighth day that Moses called Aaron and his sons and the elders of Israel. And he said to Aaron, take thee the young calf for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering without blemish and offer them to the Lord. Guess what the fatted calf was that the father was sacrificing? The sin offering. You already confessed. You came back. You're not going to have to be worthy. You're not going to have to be a hired servant and earn it. I'm going to kill the fatted calf. And when the day comes, Jesus knows he's going to be the sin offering. The father takes and makes the sin offering for you. And it's a representation of that sacrifice. So he says, shh, don't say any more. And don't let it haunt you from now on either. It's gone. It's forgiven. Don't get a guilt complex. Don't worry about what you've done. You've turned it over to me. I've handled it. It's done. Forgiven. The fatted calf's been offered. Christ died for that. Gone. Gone. Don't look anymore. So then, they bring it. They celebrate it. Because this son is now alive. That had been dead. And then... This message was the good news to all of those publicans and sinners that was hanging around him, wasn't it? They, they were getting the drift of what was going on. But now we get to the scribes and the Pharisees. They enter the picture now in verse uh, 25 up here and stuff. So what about them? Well, that's the older son. That's these scribes and Pharisees. Like self-righteous people today who like to say, I've done this and that but look at those folks there now you're worse off if you're like that than you were as the prodigal because he realized he came to himself he confessed it he repented it and the fatted calf was offered but I want you to look at the attitude of those who don't accept that it says there that he got upset notice he was in his own field wasn't he he thought he was with close to the father but he was in his own field he wasn't with the father and when he came back to the father's house he was angry when the servant boy that he called said that this making merry is for your son who was or for your brother who was lost and is now found and he got angry it says he wouldn't even go into the father's house the father heard of it and being the gracious father instead of the honorable father who would have said well then until he comes back I am not going to talk to him the gracious father goes outside and he entreats him he pleads with him and tries to say this son of mine was lost and he is now found we should be happy to entreat means to try to give the message to to teach and exhort something and he's telling him you are wrong idea about this. You need to realize as well. And the son refuses it. He says, I'm like that Pharisee who prayed, God, I'm not like that publican over there and done all that. He says, no, that's the wrong attitude. He says, 
I have been here the whole time and you never even gave me a kid. Now I want you to see the contrast between God offering the fatted calf for the one who confessed and came back and this older brother who says, I've tried to work my way everywhere and you never even gave me a kid. You know what that goes back to? Leviticus again. I want you to look at what Leviticus chapter 4 and verse 27 beginning says. Now we're going to get the idea of what was going on in Jesus' mind and why he made the parable about the fatted calf and the kid. If any one of the common people, and in verse 23 it said the rulers, which might have applied to this older brother who had now been the ruler over, but verse 23 was the ruler. Verse 27, even if the common people sinned through what? Ignorance. He didn't realize that he's away from the father in his own field just like the boy was in a far country. If you sin through ignorance while you're doing something against the commandments of the Lord concerning the things which ought to be done, sin of omission, I didn't realize that was in there. If you come to realize it then, what the things that ought to be done, if his sin which he has sinned comes to his knowledge... Then he shall bring his offering, a kid of the goats, a female without blemish for the sin that he has committed, and he shall lay his hand upon the sin offering, and they will slay it for the sin offering in place of the burnt offering. That's confession of sin, by the way, when you lay your hand upon it. That's why it says they laid their hand upon it, because when he brought it, he's acknowledging now that he has sinned. He brings his offering And he lays his hand upon it, and that was the signify that I am transferring and pleading for my sins to be cast upon it and offered up in place of me because I didn't wasn't aware. And so it says, and you will burn all of that, and then it says at the very last of verse 31, and it will be an atonement for him, and it will be forgiven of him. The reason you haven't got a kid, older brother, is you have never realized as to yet that you're far worse off than the, the blatantly one who confessed and repented and came back because you stand on your self-righteous pedestal and say, I'm okay, I don't need God. And you don't get the kid because you've not come to the realization that you've been missing out the whole time. So that's why he's never got a kid yet. And the father tells him, you've been around. If you would have came to me and talked to me and had a relationship with me, we could have had that kid a long time ago. But you have never chosen to do that. So as our worship team comes on back up, man, this parable is filled with all kinds of visual things that these people would have understood. And I hope that we understand it now as well, that so many people just go about life thinking I'm all right, and it's about how I am when it's about Christ. And they look down upon others, but don't realize they're in a worse shape. And I pray that that's never anyone here. And I pray that that never happens. But also, I want you to know that Jesus even talked about that a couple of times. The folks... Learn it now. Realize it now. Come to that knowledge. Jesus taught about the ones who were surprised on that day. And they said, but Lord, didn't I prophesy in your name? Lord, didn't 
Didn't I cast out demons? Didn't I do all these good works? Didn't I ever leave? And he said, but son, I never knew you. I never knew you. You never really wanted a relationship with me. What you wanted was just what you hoped to get in the end, and that was it. But you never desired to have a relationship with the Father. On the other hand, we see grace never fails. God's word is a promise. If I confess to him, he's faithful, he's just, he forgives, and the calf has already been given as the offering for those things, and the robe of righteousness of Christ will cover you. The signet ring of sonship is there and family. Next thing is, is give him shoes. And put your shoes on and let's get busy in the kingdom of the Lord, okay? Let's work for him. Let's glorify him so that by glorifying him, not for what we hope to receive, but because what he's done for us, that we love him, we want to give back and honor him the honor of the family that we started out with in this, that will cause others to see the goodness of your father contrasted with the world around them, and they will want to take their far journey that they've been on and now also follow back and come back to the father. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we thank you so much for this day. This word that your son spoke and how that when we unpack all of this and we see what was running through their minds because of what they know and what we have kind of let slip away from us, not only with the honor and the different things, but also folks just don't concentrate as much on that old law anymore to really, Jesus said every page of that old law speaks of me. Every page. And when we know that, you'd be surprised at how many times everything in the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. And it was there. And you can see what the meaning was. And so, Father, we pray that if there is any heart here today that needs to come to itself, we pray that it will. Whether that's the first time and they want to be washed in the blood of the Lamb, or if it's the thousands and 21st time today and they want to confess that that heart and that will be forgiven and they will realize and there will be no guilty feeling as they leave this building but the knowledge that you have cleansed and made whole and that you are the father that seeks and saves the lost and may we be challenged father that once we do that we put your shoes on And we be your feet in this community. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.